face particularly dark? All right, now we're recording. Uh, we're live. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, uh, is your face particularly dark? Um, I mean, it's, I think, the same as normal, which is kind of dark. Because the right. way that the lighting is until we get a better angle. Well, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, technically, I could turn the camera around, but then there'd just be the corner of a of the house. But it might be better lighting, so I can turn it around. Do you have it on your tripod, or you just have it set up like normal? Uh, like normal. I haven't ordered a tripod yet. Oh, okay. You're going um, to this week, though. Yeah, I mean, it, that might make it better. Um, I'm not totally sure, but that's where I would start. Um, but then, yeah. And you can also always just get like a little little light thing. I have one. I just have to remember to bring it out. All right. What are you smoking? The AA, uh, I don't know, Brugger from this month. I just got it today. So. Oh, yeah. I had to cancel this month's subscriptions. Really? Yeah, I don't have a job. Yeah, you do. You have a contract. Yeah, but that's not like full time. So, or at least not currently. I thought it was going to be, but the kickoff's been slow, like I was talking about last night. So I sent him an email today to kind of kick off that conversation. But definitely not willing to plan on it. So, will they uh, save the boxes for you, or will you only get next month's boxes? Uh, I don't know. I didn't ask. I didn't want to make it their problem. Fair enough. How is work? It was good. Yep, no, uh, no problems. It's been about three weeks since we uh, last recorded, mostly because the previous two Tuesdays were days that I was flying because I was coming to visit for a week. And so that kind of made it a bit of a pain uh, to, you know, have to try and record in the evenings after I was arriving both there and then coming back. So, um, and then, yeah, cause that would have been, yeah, last week. So, so that brings us to today. We, uh, haven't had an update on how Frisbee's gone. So how has Frisbee been going? Going great. We're uh, number one seed. The semifinals tonight, and then finals next week if we win tonight, which we should. Okay, are you guys undefeated? Yep. Yep. Five nice. and zero. Okay. Cool. Uh, do you think you're going to sign up again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's been fun. If I'm still here next year. <laughs> Is it only once a year? Uh. Well. Yeah, summer league. So, oh, okay. Because yeah, they, in DC it's year round. They've got different options, but it's year yeah. Round. Well, I think they do have like fall league, but uh, it's not ultimate. I think it's uh, it's called Golti. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Oh, I've heard it's of this it. Weird. But... Yeah, it's this weird. Like it's with an ultimate frisbee, but it's not. It's not ultimate. Um, but maybe they'll do a fall league this year. I don't know. Gotcha. Okay. 
cool. Sounds good. But, but I don't know if it'd be this fun if we uh, didn't have the team that we did. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, if you're we, losing, we got pretty lucky on our draft. So. Mm-hmm. If I could pick the draft and be a captain, then yes, I would do it again. Gotcha. 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 Okay. Do anything fun this weekend? Yeah, uh, Sean was in town from Idaho, my friend. So we uh, hung out, went to a church barbecue on Saturday, played some volleyball, some spike ball, and hung out again on Sunday. So it was a good time. Nice. Nice. Jeremy was in town for me. So we got to, uh, and I was watching Bean uh, Saturday through Sunday. So because her owner was out of town. So uh, I picked her up at like 4 a.m. They left the house, you know, key under the house mat or whatever. Um, and uh, we went and uh, picked her up at like 4 a.m., 4.30. And then we went to the river, Sun River, or for, well, went to the river for sunrise. Um, and uh, that was real nice. The weather was just amazing. But we there was this new tree that had fallen in the water. And it was really big. But we walked over to it and the water was real clear. And dude, we saw this massive, I assume it was a bass, smallmouth bass, um, but just huge fish. And I almost went and got my stuff because <laughs> I had it nice. in the car. I just would have had to buy like a day license or whatever, but I didn't want to spend the money. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. And there were a ton of fish, more fish than I've ever seen. And some people had been there earlier, like the night before or whatever. Uh, and they were probably fishing for catfish and they often will use chicken liver. Um, mm-hmm. and so there was like some chicken liver bits and parts and stuff like on the, you know, on the rocks and whatever. And I took it and I flipped it in to the water and then we, I got video and some pictures of the fish, just like swarming it. It was pretty cool. Nice. So yeah. Is there, so had, is there any noodling there? Not that I am aware of. It's possible that people do somewhere, but, um, I've never like yeah. seen anyone do it or heard it talked about, but yeah. Um, and I think the the catfish are much smaller too. They probably get fished oh, okay. fished a lot more too. They get caught and eaten <laughs> before they get big. That um, makes sense. But apparently, in one of the lakes that Jeremy and I went fishing, the state record catfish lives, but no one's caught it in like 10, 12 years or something crazy. But they know it's there because of how they like scan the water or whatever when they're <laughs> checking for a different species and whatever. So the, like the you know the state you know, I don't know, uh, professionals, uh, will like let the little lake, you know, people at the rental know, yeah, he's still out there, but they won't tell him where he is. <laughs> nice. That's cool. So, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so, so yeah, so that was a good, good day Saturday. Then we came back in the afternoon and it was perfect. There was no, absolutely no, I mean, comparatively no humidity. It was like thirties and forties, which is it's like 45 right now. It felt so good. And it was just a real clear day. And then Sunday we weren't going to go, but then I was, we were sitting out here having coffee in the morning and I showed Jeremy, um, I like mapped out to go to a different spot on the river, different river. I was like, you know, showed it to him. He just hit start. (laughs) Um, so we went and we went to a different, the Shenandoah river. And, uh, it was actually where we were at was like, not above like my, the top of my, I don't know, top of my stomach if you just walked all the way across at the deepest part 
So we just kind of hung around, swam in there, swam with Bean, which is kind of nice because she was real dirty. <laughs> um, and then we built a little bit of a fire from some of the driftwood and stuff. And we just kind of hung out and dried out for a little bit. And then we came back. So nice. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was a good weekend. It was nice. Um, and then I got a, a couple things done, got through a bunch of content I was behind on and stuff like that. And we listened to one of the things we listened to on the way to the river. The first morning was we listened to that podcast I sent with uh, Tim Dillon with Curtis Yang, Curtis, somebody, I forget his last name, Yardis or something. Anyway, whatever Curtis on, um, on politics and on democracy and stuff like that, which was pretty interesting. It was less crazy when I listened to it the second time, I think, than when I was first listening to it. And I was like, probably because it's not a normal Tim Dillon episode. Um, but Jeremy and I had a real good conversation about that stuff, which is real cool. And then the next morning on the way to and from the river, we listened to two different Peter, uh, I think it's Zion is how you pronounce his last name, on uh, geopolitics and like the the impending doom of China and uh, the situation with Russia and India in particular, and a couple other things. So it was pretty cool and really, really interesting. We had some good Listen to the one that you sent. <clears throat> yeah. I sent one of the Peter ones and then I sent the, the politics one with Tim Dillon and Curtis. Okay. Yeah. I haven't listened to that one yet. It doesn't get super interesting until about halfway through. Uh, from the politics standpoint. Um, but anyway. So. Nice. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, so it was a good weekend. Uh, but then Monday, I was like, all right, I'm going to start money feeling good. And then sure enough, Monday, I was like, <laughs> um, I don't know why, but felt a little bit out of it. Probably part because of the whole like job thing. I was like, I've got to figure out how to navigate the current circumstance and I'm not totally mm-hmm. sure how I'm going to navigate it. Other than, I mean, I kicked off navigation of it with an email earlier uh, this afternoon. So we'll see what he comes back with, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens, <laughs> but I'm going to ask another question. It escapes me. Oh, <laughs> So it wasn't a question. It was uh, when, so when Bean stayed, uh, stayed here overnight, I wasn't sure how she'd react or whatever. So I just kind of like, we just slept with the doors open in case. And she was fine. I think like she wandered around a little bit until she figured out like we were in bed and it was bedtime. And then she like, you know, flopped down and slept wherever. Um, and then, but in the morning, I was kind of like already sort of awake or whatever. But in the morning she came in and she jumped up on my bed and like flopped down on me. And then she like took her paws and like bounced up and down, like on my <laughs> arm, trying to like shake me like awake, John awake. <laughs> trying to nice. shake me awake. Yeah. It was pretty funny. Uh, and I didn't do anything. Cause I was like, I didn't really want to wake up and I didn't want her to be like, Oh yeah, this is, you know, this works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in case it was annoying to Aaron That's or cute, something. Does that. But it, yeah, it was pretty cute. It's pretty funny. And then she like got back down after a minute or so. And then just flopped down on the floor and waited for us both to wake up. <laughs> but it was funny. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. She was a pretty good dog. She um she had a couple moments where she got in trouble, but you know, 
we worked through those. <laughs> Did you uh, watch the, the Call of Duty um, deal that I sent you? It's only 30 seconds long, um, but the graphics I, look insane. Oh, no, I didn't get a chance to look at that because I was at work and then came straight here. So Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the graphics look incredible. So who knows? Well, I hard, hardly think graphics have been the problem for the last. No, but games. Vanguard graphics suck horribly. So. Yeah, I'd rather have mechanics and graphics, though. I can care less about the graphics. Yeah. Apparently, I heard someone, one of the pros talking earlier today saying there's supposedly slightly less emphasis on slide canceling, which would be nice. So we'll see. But but anyway, yeah. Hawk has been uh, messaging me today, trying to set up different stuff and link accounts and such. Nice. That's cool. Hopefully it gets Did he low. have to buy the game again? Well, Never yeah, game. you have to buy the PC license. Yeah. Well, no, 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 you don't because Warzone is free. So he didn't buy anything and he's just going to play Vanguard on the Xbox because there's no point in paying 60 bucks, you know, when we're going to play the new one in a couple months, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, like he didn't have like a cord for his controller and just stuff like that. So. I see. Anyway, did you listen to any good or interesting content this past week? I finished uh, the first Lord of the Rings book, hmm. Fellowship of the Rings. So, listening to that last week and a half. Nice. And then I'm halfway through the terminal list. So, terminal. Oh, oh the show. Yeah, I I've seen this. I've seen the show, and I'm now going through the book. Oh, gotcha. Okay, how's the yeah. book? It's good. It's entertaining. Uh, it's not. Uh, I wouldn't say it's brilliant, but it's very digestible. So, okay. Um, any takeaways from listening to the Lord of the Rings? Nothing. Nothing new. I did. I. I I heard a quote though from part of it that I want to remember because I want it's a good quote and I want to use it and it's it's when uh, Sauron's servants go to the dwarf and they're sort of explaining the backstory of how the ring or no they're explaining how the hobbits are being hunted and they sent the the ring wraiths to the dwarves basically and I can't remember the name but of the dwarf lord um, and they're trying to convince him to help find hunt down uh, Frodo. Yeah. And, and he basically, the Sauron servant says to him, I'm paraphrasing at this point, but he says, so basically you don't have a lot of time. Right. And then he, he says neither yes or no to, to answer because one implies he's going to get beyond the bad graces of Sauron. And then the other implies he has to go, hunt you know hunt the hobbies down he doesn't want to do either but he responds to being rushed into the matter by saying the time of my own thought is mine to spend and i thought that was a pretty good quote <laughs> nice that is a good quote uh there was a gandalf one that i was that i came across from oh i came across it because it was in tim dylan <laughs> or not tim dylan tim ferris uh his Five day Friday or whatever it was from a while back. 
don't know if I still have it. Yeah, here it is. So this is when Gandalf and Elrond are kind of discussing the situation. And I thought about this it, it being interesting relative to the con uh, the context of politics, because I mean that Jeremy and I had a ton of conversations about politics and geopolitics and whatnot this weekend. But uh, so it's first is Gandalf and then uh, and then it switches to Elrond. All right. Uh, despair or folly, uh, said Gandalf. It is not despair, for despair is only for those who see the end beyond all doubt. We do not. It is wisdom to recognize necessity when all other courses have been weighed, though as folly it may appear to those who cling to false hope. Well, let our folly be our cloak, a veil before the eyes of the enemy, for he is very wise and weighs all things to a nicety in the scale of his malice. But the only measure that he knows is desire, desire for power, and so he judges all hearts. Into his heart the thought will not enter that any will refuse it, that having the ring we may seek to destroy it. If we seek thus this, we shall put him out of reckoning. At least for a while, said Elrond, the road must be trod, but it will be very hard, and neither strength nor wisdom will carry us afar upon it. This quest may be attempted by the weak with as much hope as with the strong. Yet such is oft the course of deeds that move the wheels of the world. Small hands do them because they must, while the eyes of the great are elsewhere. <laughs> Such good writing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Tolkien's amazing. <laughs> um, but I like the first part relative to Gandalf saying, first is delineation of wisdom may appear as folly to those who cling to false hope. And then second is the his identification of the um, how the how the the process or the lens through which one views the world, aka Sauron seeking power and assuming all else would also seek it, is how they'll kind of outwit a very wise Sauron, mm -hmm. um, and then. I separately, then I also liked Elrond's point because it made me think of, you know, we're all like, you know, the metaverse and crypto and all this other stuff. Right. And then it's like the farmer raising a hundred cows, you know, shipping his calves, you know, to the guy who's going to finish them that, you know, feeds the beef that these guys are getting at their steaks when they go to the restaurant. And, you know, the guy who's out there in, you know, middle of nowhere, Culver raising a seed plot of carrots so everyone can eat their carrots and just stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, all right. Well, let's see what I had because I do have some notes. This is episode fourteen, by the way. Ah, well, first is that poem that I actually shared to the family chat. I thought I would read it here. Uh, this is a Wordsworth uh, poem. Our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. The soul that rises with us, our life's star, hath had elsewhere its setting and cometh from afar. Not an entire forgetfulness and not an utter nakedness, but trailing clouds of glory do we come from God who is our home. Heaven lies about us in our infancy. Shades of the prison house begin to close upon the growing boy 
but he beholds the light and whence it flows, he sees it in his joy. The youth who daily farther from the east must travel still is nature's priest, and by this vision splendid is on his way attended. At length the man perceives it die away and fade into the light of common day. Uh, I, I thought that was really awesome. I can't remember how I came across that one. I think it was shared by somebody or something, but or, or half of it was in a uh, was in a show or movie or something I was watching, I think is what it was. But anyway, I really liked that. And I thought it was such a good, because, you know, we always talk about things like, well, where does the idea of splendor come from or God come from? Or where, you know, why do I have this constant sense of longing, even when I'm living a life of this, that, or the other thing, right? Whether you're mm-hmm. Christian, Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, you know, agnostic, atheist, you know, <laughs> it's like we all have these similar uh they're seemingly all have these similar cries and questions of the soul. And, uh, and that was Wordsworth kind of putting it into words, but also then noting the, uh, the progression of its, of its death essentially. And our closing, uh, our, our closing of our soul to splendor um, through the light of the common day, which actually makes me think of the, when we were there, we caught up on, um, on Dry Creek Wrangler School, Dwayne, and um, caught up on some of his content. And one of the things he talked about was this idea of living uh, in order to be truly happy is you have to live um, a holistic life. And a holistic life is comprised of, he said, uh, physical, spiritual, and um, soul. soul. And he is a really great video the way that he, I, you know, we thought uh, based relative to how he outlined and delineated between those two or three factors. And he specifically talked about how, if you're feeling a sense of, of loss or um, ungrounding or, um, or gray, in your thinking and in your attitude and just in your life across the board, it's likely related to missing one or two of those facts, the fulfillment of one or two of those factors in your life. And definitely had me thinking about like, well, that's how I felt. So what's missing for me, you know? (laughs) Um, And so I think in a lot of ways, the part of speaking to both the soul, well, uh, or the, the soul in particular, I think, if I remember his delineations correctly, would be connected with this idea of the splendor um, and the soul that rises with us, our life star, that is can be easily killed by the light of the common day. Mm-hmm. So, thought it was good. Uh, okay, so one of the things that one of the questions I was asking myself uh, this, I don't remember when I wrote this note down, but you know, we talk about discipline, right? A lot. And people like Jocko talk about discipline a lot, a lot. And people talk about motivation and vision uh, crafting and scheduling and, you know, tasks oriented and deep work and all these sorts of things mental models, mental frameworks, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
But the question I ask myself is, where do you find the will? Right? Because Jocko talks about, for instance, uh, Jocko talks about like, it doesn't matter how I feel. I'm waking up in the morning and I'm doing my workout, right? Or whatever it is. Um, discipline, right? Discipline equals freedom. And, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson, many others have talked about this concept. And obviously it's true, but there's still, right? There's, there's still some form of will there, right? Because it's not as if, you know, he doesn't feel like going, but instead of that feeling being the basis or the foundation from which he's making a decision, it's being made from something else, which is willpower. And so the question I was asking myself was, where does that will come from? Like, where does that willpower come from? And part of it is, you know, habit, training over time, consistency over time, et cetera. But there also has to be some sort of catalyst. And for a lot of great people throughout history, the catalyst has been in some form of chip on their shoulder. Like, even if I was going to use Winston Churchill as an example, I think a lot of his greatness came from a combination of chip on his shoulder from how cold his father in particular uh, was to him. But despite the fact how much Winston looked up to his father, and then, so he kind of had this like, um, this back and forth emotionally, emotional rela- relative to emotion relationship with his father. And then the fact that he wasn't particularly physically strong and whatnot, but he definitely had a spirit of, um, and in fact, like he had asthma and stuff like this. Um, uh, but it, he like also had a willpower that was like not going to get in the way. And he deliberately did, did not want his physical limitations to prevent him from being who he wanted to be. For instance, like people are like, he always had a cigar. Part of the reason he always had a cigar is it was part of his intentioned manifestation and presentation of himself as someone more macho, manly, et cetera, than he was maybe in his natural uh, uninitiated state. So, uh, so, uh, but back to my point, which is I, you know, I definitely seen a lot of people, a lot, if not most great people have been successful as a form of a chip on their shoulder. And I actually think when I was being super disciplined in college and just out of college in part of it, it was chip on my shoulder relationship, you know, past relationships, past, um, not enjoying, uh, various elements of the group or communities that I was connected with or, you know, around or surrounded by. And I definitely had, you know, and then also a sense of like, I wanted to be, um, doing paramilitary uh, work overseas, counterterrorism work overseas. And so I, I definitely had that chip on my shoulder. I think not that I was conscious of it, but it was definitely a, a factor. You know, why did I wake up in the morning? Cause I wanted to be, cause I, uh, cause it's a chip on my shoulder. <laughs> um, and obviously like, I think I took it too far relative to not being uh, intelligent with how I necessarily applied it because I, you know, I drove myself too hard physically. Um, but at the same time, since having, and then I went through this mental process of being like, oh, I don't want to be a guy who has a chip on his shoulder. That sounds kind of negative, right? That's a reinforcement of a negative emotion, which I've consistently presented a theory to you even of this idea of not pursuing life from the standpoint of being against something, but instead of being for something, but that being against something is actually a much stronger, more visceral emotion, which um, we've talked about a, a fair bit. And so, but now circling back to this question of where does that will come from? I wonder, I've been asking myself, is there value to having some form of chip on your shoulder, right? 
even if my chip on my shoulder is not being fat and lazy, right? Um, I'm curious, do you have any thoughts or like, how does, how does that strike you? Well, personally, I like having a chip on my shoulder. I think that it's, I, I, I mean, I tend to just have a natural inclination towards having a chip on my shoulder as a motivation versus being as, you know, the distinction between being for something. And actually, a, and a great example of that came out because, or I, in my mind, because last year when we were playing in our frisbee tournament for the first time, we uh, we were losing this one game. We were getting we were getting kind of crushed, and the other team wasn't being very respect. Like they just were they were running around with drinks and they weren't being very respectful. And they anyway, and we were really like we were playing but we weren't playing very well. We weren't all synced up. We weren't on the same page. It was kind of all over the place. And what someone said, don't play, don't play not to lose, play to win, but don't play not to lose. Like motivation should not be to not, not to lose. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the moment that really graded against my spirit because I was there not to lose. Yeah. And I don't know if it just differs in a com- in a competitive in a competitive circumstance if it just differs across personality but when i'm competing i'm competing not to lose i am not competing like if if that's the distinction that i'm given right sure play to win don't play not to lose right no and my that really great target against my spirit whether i'm wrong or right maybe is up for discussion but my initial reaction is no, I'm here not to lose and I'm going to fight as hard as I can to not lose. As soon as you brought that up, as soon as you started talking about Frisbee, it made me think actually of when I was there playing Thursday and then in particular on Saturday, because right. I'm, I'm kind of out of shape. I mean, I'm still fine compared to, you know, 99% of you know the population yeah. or whatever. Right. But like for my standards, I'm very much out of shape and, and we're playing Frisbee with people who play two to three times a week at least. Right. And I, on Saturday in particular, it made me think of like, what, what was, you know, I was like, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose. I'm going to keep trying. And like, I had to be careful not to like bust a hamstring or something. Um, but I was like, all right, I'm going to burn right here. All right, I'm trotting back after the goal is scored or we were scored against. I'm trotting back. Like, I'm moving, I'm moving, I'm moving. And the guy that's guarding me is going to get more and more tired, more and more tired, more and more tired. And, and that, like, mentality, like, I performed at my best for where I was at physically uh, relative to uh, fitness, right? And... That just as soon as you start talking about that, I was like, you know, that's when I perform my best. You know, it's like in that moment where I was like, I'm not giving up. I'm, and it was like, you know, I mean, it was what? It was super hot outside. It wasn't crazy hot, but it was pretty hot uh, for where we were. The sun was on the whole field. And, um, and so, and obviously you're taking water breaks only every so often and stuff like that. And so mm-hmm. that definitely, that just, you know, just sparked in my mind. Um, and I actually wonder if to a certain extent it became too much of a negative thing back when I was playing soccer all the time, 
because I started getting on all these teams that would just like consistently lose or not quite perform at their peak. And I was just, get, I would get so frustrated because I hate losing and I can get over it when I want to get over it, but it was, you know, I mean, I clearly played harder, 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 harder. And clearly that had a positive uh, willpower effect on me. <clears throat> yeah. Um, now do that too much. If you're losing all the time and you hate losing, right. You can, <laughs> maybe that's not a great mental place to be in. And that's what part of why I stopped playing and I lost my willpower. Um, and not that there weren't 25 other factors also um, attacking my head, but, um, but that definitely made me think of that. So like, what is your take on the question of where does will come from? I think that it's, perhaps an outsource of motivation. I mean, because I hear Jocko talk about motivation, how that's just a feeling and it comes and it goes. So don't let that be the basis upon which you perform. Instead, rely on discipline. But I think that you have to be motivated to be disciplined. And so I think that I understand what he's talking about in terms of feeling, but I know for him, at least from what I've heard him talk about, part of the reason that he does what he does is because he was a soldier uh, and he, you know, in his mind, I think, from what I understand based off of what I've heard him speak about, you know, he's waking up because he doesn't want to, he wants to live to the fullest extent because of what men and women have died for and, and given, given us this, this country, this opportunity at life. Right. So he obviously has a motivation uh, and maybe, you know, maybe it's uh, not, and that's different maybe than waking up and feeling motivated, but it's still a motivation. And it's, so that's sort of an external source that, you know, maybe he's using every single time that he wakes up in the morning at 4.30 a.m. and works out. Mm -hmm. And it's consistent. And maybe it doesn't align with your feelings or his feelings in a specific circumstance every time, but it's something that he can draw from. So I don't know how applicable, uh, how applicable that is to the general question. That's the first thing that I do think about because I think you have to have something that you're pulling from versus just waking up and being like, Oh, I'm just going to be disciplined. There's, I think there has to be a reason for it. And it has to be an outsource of, of motivation. I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've been coming to as well. Generally. And over the last three, four weeks, I've been thinking more about that chip on your shoulder concept or that, you know, what I would refer to as like almost a negative energy concept versus like, Oh, I want to, <clears throat> I want to be successful because I want to be successful and do good things. It's like, yeah. Right. But is that really waking me up in the morning when I'm living a okay life or is it, you know, fear of, um, you know, fear of, uh, you know, not being able to eat in a couple of weeks or whatever, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I think like, a takeaway that I would have is if 
you are, if one is struggling with motivation or positive motivation, it might be worth asking yourself, how much do you hate being overweight, being out of shape, right? On a scale of one to 10, right? And if it's not a six, seven plus and above, then that's probably not an emotion you can count on. It's just one that's going to eat at your brain. And maybe going through that exercise means that you're like, no, actually, wait a minute. No, I actually do hate this. I hate doing this. I'm waking up tomorrow and I'm working out. And I don't care if I have to vacuum up, you know, the dirt on the floor before I do squats or, you know, leg lifts or whatever. It's happening. Um, And it's just an example. I mean, obviously you can apply that to work. You can apply that to whatever it is in life. Um, Because I definitely think I have to get back to a place um, of hopefully, you know, more, not hopefully, but obviously more healthy and wise uh, chip on my shoulder action. Um, Because... I also think, I also wonder if part of the reason it's uh, a stronger motivational factor than like a positive, like, oh, I want to help people, (laughs) Um, which I have a specific thoughts in my head relative to what that means. I'm just summarizing that for the sake of this particular conversation, but is because from, from day zero to day one and day one to day two, aka day to day difference, me waking up and not being fat. Um, is like, I'm, I, I'm specifically, I can see that impact, right? Zero to one impact. Whereas me helping people someday is like a zero to 15, 20 year impact. Right. And it's not a real concrete thing. And so, um, you know, I I guess you could say like a positive version of motivation would be like me wanting to go to the river. Right. I don't have a problem waking up at 4 a.m. when it's time to get there at sunrise, right? I have zero problem with that, right? Because it's concrete. It's in your face. So there must, there might also be something to identifying what are the things that you can specifically see immediate outcome from and see immediate impact on. And there's obviously an immediate difference between the guy who didn't wake up to work out and the guy who did wake up to work out Mm -hmm. versus like the guy who got up to work to do some projects so that 10 years from now they could be worth enough where he might be able to help some people in human trafficking or whatever. Yeah. Well, I think there's a a certain balance between fighting against something and then fighting for something, each of which has their place and value in personal motivation. Mm Because I know for me, at least on the Frisbee field, I am motivated by negative I'll just say negative energy to not lose. Mm -hmm. And so I can perform my best because I'm not going to let someone who's playing me beat me. And if they do beat me, then I am going to beat them the next point. And I'm going to make sure that they know I'm there to compete. It's Mm -hmm. nothing. I'm not being a bad sport. I'm not throwing words or anything. I'm just silently competing on the level that I'm there to compete at. Versus me, you know, maybe taking that too far where it's, I start getting frustrated at all my teammates and I let my negative energy that's motivating me to perform my best. I let that overflow in a, in a bad way on, on my teammates and everyone I'm playing with, instead of using the way that I'm performing on the field 
to motivate my teammates in a positive way because maybe maybe they're not so motivated by the fact that you know I'm doing a lot more on the field than they are or they were you know yeah I will say I do think I not that that's a true circumstance but a less good teammate yeah yeah I I will say I do feel like I probably become a less good teammate when I'm operating from that standpoint in the intensity of you know trying to win a game because I'm just like trying harder 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 blindfolds you know (laughs) I just have to remind myself, at least in this specific circumstance, and I'd be remiss without saying this based off what I just said, that I, you know, I can get, it's easy for me to get frustrated at someone for making a dumb decision, but it's then I have to walk myself through every single decision that I made on the field. And it's like, if I didn't play this game perfectly, I have no right to be frustrated because every single mistake adds to every single point loss and adds to the overall outcome of the game. So if I am not performing at a perfection level, at your then best. I cannot at my best, right? Then I, I have no right to be mad despite how ridiculous some decisions were that play, other players made, right? I have no right to that, to that anger, right? Instead, I need to focus that energy on myself and be like, no, you made plenty of mistakes. You need to get better. You need to perform better on the field. And then while that's the internal mindset, I am communicating in an uplifting way to all my teammates and they make a mistake. Don't worry about it. Let's get to this next point. It happens all the time, et cetera, et cetera, versus, you know, explaining to them what they did wrong and why they did it wrong and just beating them down. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like, yeah. So there's a, there's a certain balance and a difference um, that affects you and how, and then that affects those around you. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, that was good stuff. Um. Okay, so I finished this book, The War of Art. Really good book. Um, the first two thirds, in particular, the second third had some parts that I didn't think were as helpful or interesting or applicable, but still had some things that I liked. But on page ninety-one. He talked about the concept of, uh, well, he talked about a professional self-validates is the title. Uh, The question of the the, the, the summary or the question that I jotted down, the note I jotted down was pride versus confidence. So what he says is an amateur lets the negative opinion of others unman him. He takes external criticism to heart, allowing it to trump his own belief in himself and his work. Resistance loves this. Can you stand another Tiger Woods story? With four holes to go on the final day of the 2001 Masters, which Tiger went on to win, completing all the four major, all four majors at one time slam, some chucklehead in the gallery snapped a camera shutter at the top of Tiger's backswing. Incredibly, Tiger was able to pull up in mid-swing and back off the shot. But that wasn't the amazing part. After looking daggers at the malfactor, Tiger recomposed himself, stepped back into the hole or stepped back to the ball and stripped it 310 down the middle. That's a professional. It's a tough mindedness at a level most of us can't comprehend, let alone emulate. But let's look more closely at what Tiger did or rather what he didn't do. First, he didn't react reflexively. He didn't allow an act that by all rights should have provoked an automatic response of rage to actually produce that rage. He controlled his reaction. He governed his emotion. 
Second, he didn't take it personally. He could have perceived this shutter bags or shutter bugs act as a deliberate blow aimed at him individually with the intention of throwing him off his shot. He could have reacted with outrage or indignation or cast himself as a victim. He didn't. Third, he didn't take it as a sign of heaven's malevolence. He could have experienced this bolt as the malice of the golfing gods, like a bad hop in basketball or a lineman's miscall in tennis. He could have groaned or sulked or surrendered mentally to this injustice, this interference, and used it as an excuse to fail. He didn't. What he did do was maintain his sovereignty over the moment. He understood that no matter what blow had befallen him from outside agency, he himself still had his job to do, the shot he needed to hit right here, right now, and he knew that it remained within his power to reproduce that or to produce that shot. Nothing stood in his way except whatever emotional upset he himself chose to hold on to. Professional cannot allow the actions of others to define his reality. Tomorrow morning, the critic will be gone, but the writer will still be there facing the blank page. Nothing matters but that he keep working. Short of a family crisis or the outbreak of World War III, the professional shows up ready to serve the gods. Remember, resistance wants us to cede sovereignty to others. It wants us to stake our self-worth, our identity, our reason for being on the response of others to do our work. Resistance, resistance knows we can't take this. No one can. The professional blows critics off. He doesn't even hear them. Critics, he reminds himself, are the unwitting mouthpieces of resistance and as such can be truly cunning and pernicious. They can articulate in their reviews the same toxic venom that resistance itself concocts inside our heads. That is their real evil. Not that we believe them, but that we believe the resistance in our own minds, for which critics serve as unconscious spokespersons. The professional learns to recognize envy-driven criticism and to take it for what it is, the supreme compliment. The critic hates most of what he could have done himself if he had had the gun, uh, guts. So the, you know, the thought, the question right, that that raised in my head was one of the delineation between pride and confidence, which is one I have been, uh, which is the topic of many conversations I've had in the past with people close to me, both family and uh, friend. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, I think that if you, if you have, I mean, there's, I think there's, you know, righteous pride and unrighteous pride. And I think that confidence naturally follows the former righteous pride. So, I mean, I think that if just off the top of my head, I mean, having, having, having not considered it at all. I think that if you have something that you have a right to be proud of, proud about something that you have accomplished, something that you've built, something that you've done, that gives you confidence. That gives you confidence. So I don't know. Maybe the maybe I don't know. Maybe the the righteous pride is a source of confidence. Um. So I, I don't know. I'd have to think about it a little bit more in order to draw delineations, but. Well, so for instance, the way that he kind of talks about it a bit and what jumped out at me when reading it is this idea of the professional is someone who ignores the critics, right? And views their criticism as a compliment and, mm -hmm. uh, and doesn't listen to the beatdown of others relative to 
him creating, in this case, he's mostly talking to artists and writers, right? But him creating what he feels compelled to create. And, and so I think that that takes, that's a form of confidence, right? That's a, I mean, a supreme form of confidence uh, in yourself and in who you feel you're meant to be, et cetera, right? But how does that come across to everyone else? That comes across as prideful, right? Oh, you're not listening to the advice of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, why can't you listen to, you know, I have good things to add to your thought process and like, you know, I have thoughts or, you know, wait, wait a minute, you didn't listen to the senior person in your life. That seems kind of prideful. You know, what's wrong with you? Um, and, and so obviously I think that there's a difference between hearing advice and necessarily following it. Um, I also personally have found that in most circumstances, not all, and oftentimes things that I thought I was right about or things that I was right about in the moment end up shifting later um, based on context or maturity or whatever. Um, but there have been a lot of things in my life where I've personally been accused of being prideful over something when I was like, look, I don't think I'm prideful. This is just the way that I'm built. This is just the way that I think. This is just a fact of who I am. And that's not my fault. <laughs> um, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, so I think I would, I think that can be challenging for people um, that want to make a difference in your life. And like, so you can even take it, right? We can go back to the being in shape, right? Back when, talk about. yeah. Okay. Well, so where are we at? Back when I was working out all the time and counting my calories, right? It was taken as a form of pride. Oh, he's prideful in how his body looks, you know, because it's like, you know, I wanted to flex and whatever else. And I wanted pictures to do document my progress. And I was, I mean, I wasn't going for um, like bodybuilder sort of fitness, but I mean, obviously there's a physical difference between what he does and doesn't work out, um, especially when you work out as much as I was. Mm -hmm. And that was taken as, you know, by some as a form of being prideful in my body, mm -hmm. prideful of my body. And then when it came to, you know, what I ate, I mean, I was, you know, I'd be at a party and I wouldn't eat the pizza, right? Or I'd have one piece, if that, and people be like, you know, or I'd bring my own food. Oh, why, why, why aren't you fitting in? Like, why can't you, you know, you just like, you know. Does eating an extra piece of pizza really hurt? You know, like just, you know, can't you just calm down? Why do you, you know, why are you being like this? Um, mm -hmm. And it's like, no, it's just like, in order to do what I want to do, I can't eat the pizza. I'm sorry. Yeah. And over time, those things, that, that resistance, 100% got to me. 100%. Because mm -hmm. it's a very lonely road and it's just very challenging to constantly feel at odds um with people about something that's just fundamentally something that you enjoy and are good at and are invested in that they mm -hmm. don't understand and you know therefore don't appreciate or like even you know um and you don't even have to appreciate it you just have to accept it and it wasn't accepted so 
so that's some you know some specific contexts to the difference between confidence of like no this is just what i'm doing and yeah you know i'm not listening to the critic or the advice and it has nothing to do with being prideful it just has to do with this is just who i am there's nothing wrong with it <laughs> obviously yeah. there would be something wrong with it if you were right about me being prideful or doing it because i'm prideful that has nothing to do with my motivation and you need to accept that understand that or know that depending on your level of uh you know depth of relationship with me so i'll kick it back to you because you said that you were thinking about the fitness piece as well yeah i'll say this and then i got a dip i was thinking about as you were the example of working out and i think that confidence follows pride because i don't i don't think you can be confident if you are not proud of an accomplishment so working out as an example if i work out for 30 days and i have a goal and at the end of those 30 days i reach my goal and i look how i want to look um i look how i want to look i i was disciplined i was consistent i can be proud of that accomplishment personally and that will give me confidence to achieve the next goal the next set of workouts, the next level that I want to achieve. So the precursor to that, though, was was the process, then the feeling of pride of that accomplishment, then I have the confidence after. Mm -hmm. And I can complete all of that while also still recognizing that there are a million other guys out there that do way more than me, look way better than me, are way stronger than me, way smarter than me, right? So I'm not being you know, I, 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 my, my pride is not being shoved in anyone's face. It's just a personal sense of accomplishment and it boosted my confidence. Cause I think everyone, I mean, especially in work in the case of working out, it does give you confidence. Um, mm -hmm. but I, but I still recognize that I'm nothing special. I just achieved what I wanted to achieve. Um, and the pride of that accomplishment gave me confidence, which will then allow me to accomplish even more so that that was sort of what jumped out at me that's a good thought very good thought and we can totally end there you said you got a jet yeah all right gotta get uh gotta get that semi-final in mm -hmm. gotta get the dub all right well uh this is a good episode and glad we're back on uh schedule here and we'll keep it rocking and rolling. Have a good, uh, have a good game, dude. And uh, let me know how it goes. All right, we'll, we'll update everyone else next week. <laughs> yeah. All right. Peace. All right. Peace. Take care.